CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hey guys, before we get started on the episode, I want to give a special shout out to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Steven Saylor, Steve Hoker, Mike Jones, Dan Gurwan, Brad Deal, Patrick Schwartzman, Emma Clayton, Metal Dan, Jerry from Long Island, Michael Street, Joe, Joe, that's Joe Ryan, who I just hung out with in L.A., by the way, a great dude, uh, Fred Roots, Sam Supa, Supi, Drake, Matt Carroll, actually, sorry, no, Drake, uh, I don't know what happened to you, Drake, you're, you're, I guess, have left Patreon. If that's not the case, let me know. Uh, Matt Carroll, one one last shout out for you though, right there. Uh, Jay Vaninsky, Jason Seth, Jean Francois Blas, Ron Keel, James Bennett, Sean Morgan, Mister David Gray, Kenny McCremen, Leo from Alaska, Richard Langridge, Miles Atwood, Anthony Mackey. Jean Beauvoirie and Ralph Petrie. Thanks to all you guys. If you don't support us on Patreon, please consider doing so. All different levels and tiers you can join. It doesn't have to be like a super expensive thing. I mean, it can be as little as two bucks a month. It can be as high as whatever you really want it to be. So uh, check out the different tiers. For example, if you do um, Talking Metal head level one which is just five dollars a month you get a free talking metal t-shirt sent in the mail plus you get a bonus podcast that no one except the patrons here the patrons here every friday it's called the mark striegel podcast it's not a it's not available to the public it's only available to the patreon supporters so there you go talking metal head level one on patreon join today for just five bucks a month get that talking metal t-shirt plus the free podcast Every Friday, not it's not free because you're paying for it, for the bonus podcast, that's what I mean. And you also get to participate in all our polls and all the discussion that goes on on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash talking metal. My name is Mark Striegel, and we're about to listen to my podcast. It's called the Talking Metal Podcast. Robbie Crane is our guest today. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal Podcast. Let's get things started. This is the Sean Baker Orchestra with Which Way to Radio Land.
It's Mark Striegel drinking some Starbucks. It's the morning. Having trouble focusing this morning. Stay focused. That's what I always tell my kids, and I can't do it myself. Uh, but that might be because I went to bed well after midnight last night after a long flight home from Los Angeles. Delayed. Uh, great trip. Besides the uh, the little delay, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but um, some minor delays on our flight home. Wow! Uh, big big props to the amazing and beautiful Emil- Emily Striegel. Can't even talk this morning. Who took me out there a couple months early? I have a big birthday coming up this year in November, but we had decided to go celebrate that birthday in September in Los Angeles with Kiss. Now, of course, Kiss canceled on us postponed uh, their show. I won't be able to get back out there for the makeup date. Um, all thoughts are going out to Gene Simmons, who sounds like he's dealing with some sort of medical issue. So we hope uh, he's well soon. But yeah, so Kiss postponed or canceled their show. But we went out anyways. We stayed out in Malibu for a night, and then we stayed right in Hollywood for another night. It was fun. I saw Sean Penn staying at our hotel a uh, guy who I once interviewed like 20 years ago had the opportunity had the opportunity to say a quick hello to him. We also also actually Emily saw William DeVoe DeVoe Willem Willem DeVoe DeVoe whatever his name is, you know, the guy from Spider-Man and I didn't see him. Who else? Oh, we hung out with Ron Jeremy at the Rainbow and Ron was uh, well. Go go look at my Instagram. You can see the pictures and judge for yourself. But yeah, um, it was a it was really really a great great trip. And even though Kiss canceled, we did get to see Guns and Roses play an exclusive kind of warm up show at the Hollywood Palladium. Very small venue for that enormous band, and that was a ton of fun. Yeah, and it was just uh, wow. Hung out with friends. Saw my friend Joe Ryan and Carl Alvarez, both talking metalheads. Carl's been on the show a number of times. And uh, yeah, it was so much fun, man. I I just had a blast, and I love that city, Los Angeles. A great, great town. But back in North Jersey today, got a meeting in the city later today that I'm kind of excited about, and we'll see what happens with that. I'll fill you in, you know. um, Could could be something that's interesting to you guys. Maybe not, though. Um, And... Got to take my older dog to the vet at 11. But right now, I got to listen to Robbie Crane talk to me about all things Black Star Riders, Vince Neal, Rat. Uh, we There's a lot of cool stuff in this interview, man. So much great stuff, actually. Really, really enjoyed talking to Robbie Crane. I wasn't sure what to expect, but we got some good stuff out of him. And if you don't know Robbie Crane... And you're like, Robbie Crane, who's that? Please stay tuned because it's a really, really great interview and discussion. And he gives us some real good stories and some real good music. So without further ado, let's uh, let's just do this. Here is some new Black Star Riders on the podcast. The podcast known as Talking Metal, which is available on Google Podcasts, the uh, the app known as Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're all over the place. So definitely subscribe to us. If you do it uh, on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, leave us a good review, five-star review. That would be amazing. And, and also, you know, support us on Patreon uh, or buy a Talking Metal sweatshirt for 50 bucks using my PayPal account. Uh, buy a t-shirt if you don't want to do Patreon just buy a t-shirt they're $20 or if you want to just do a one-time donation you can do that on TalkingRock.net or TalkingMetal.com using the PayPal accounts so anyways this is new Black Star Riders it's the title track off of their brand new record Another State of Grace this will be followed by my interview with Robbie Crane, the bassist of this band. And again, go support this. Go buy the album on Amazon or stream it on your favorite streaming services like YouTube Music, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you do. Support Black Star Riders. Here we go. I'm 
Striegel of Talking Metal, and what an honor. On the line, we have Robbie Crane from Black Star Riders. Robbie, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. You bet, and congratulations on the new record, Another State of Grace by Black Star Riders. Another great one, man. I mean, it's really solid. I'm digging it. I love the songs. I love the production. Great stuff. Thank you so much, man. We had such a, an amazing time making it, and and uh, and to see it come out and everyone and you know kind of catch on to what we were we were feeling at that time uh, is a very, very very immense honor for everybody in the band. And we've had such a great time making it with Jay and everybody, and what a great experience! Yeah, definitely. Cool. And when when you say Jay, you're talking about the producer. Can you tell us who that is? Yeah, Jay Rustin. So uh, Jay Rustin, he he mixed our last two records, Killer Instinct and Heavy Fire, and he's produced you know Anthrax and a, you know a bunch of other bands. Uh, he's a, he's a, you know he's a, I we saw him as an engineer, but I knew that he produced records. We had done our last few records with uh, Nick Raskolnikov, who had done right. Alice in Chains and Rush and everybody. And um, so when Ricky had proposed the idea of working with Jay as a producer after. Um, after a lengthy conversation, because I was like, man, I don't even, I, I didn't, it just wasn't on my radar at the time. Not that I didn't think Jay was capable. I just wasn't so sure how it would turn out. And man, was I, uh, Ricky was on the right track and I, my skepticism was proved completely wrong. Jay was amazing. He, he not only put us in a great environment and, uh, and captured some amazing moments with the band. He just, he really did a great job of just, you know, helping us shape this record and the songs. And it was great, man. We really had a great, an amazing experience with Jay. Yeah. Definitely going to do another one with them, yeah, for sure. Oh, cool. Yeah, because, I mean, again, the record sounds great. And as as a producer, how, you said he helps shape the song. So you guys will bring, like, song structures in, and he might have feedback and comments on them? Well, you know, I guess with most producers, um, yeah, that's that's their general the general deal. Ca- capturing, you know, getting everyone in the in the position to be successful, uh, putting the songs in the best position to be successful. You know, um, there's not much of that with Black Star writers. Uh, Ricky Warwick has is a pretty prolific writer in that he he comes about 99 percent of the way there. And when I say helping uh, shape songs, I, I'm not necessarily uh, uh, with Jay in particular. Not not saying that he helped, uh, you know, arrange the songs or even co-write any of the songs he just put us in a great position to where we were we were in a creative environment see that's that's 90 percent of it isn't it if you're in a negative you know difficult environment it's kind of hard to be creative jay had the wherewithal to to see you know the the personalities involved and and uh, and, and our camaraderie with the group and he really put us in a good position and he helped us to hey man that sounds cool hey i like that hey yeah that's cool guys hey you're headed in a good direction you know it's just that those those inspirations that you know maybe there's some outside doubt when you know when you're writing you're exposed you're being creative you, you you're not you're not sure you know you 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 have hopes and aspirations of what you think sounds great but to get that uh that validation from somebody and and uh, you know just the, the nudge to go into the, into the directions that we had headed you know again most of these songs were written before we even got into the studio uh with the exception of what will it take and uh, underneath the afterglow uh those the other songs were demoed and um what will it take ricky literally wrote <laughs> like i'm not sure when he wrote it but he literally i could envision it right now him sitting toward the end of the pre-production sessions and him just saying i've got an idea and he started playing it he went through the three parts and uh and he goes you know that's kind of what i'm thinking and i just was like sounds great chad and i just looked at each other we counted it in and we went right into it and it was pretty much what made the record was kind of to the degree of what we had played that first couple of times wow. so you know cool. just the, yeah the, the cool thing about and I've said this in other interviews, but I, I can't stress it enough, is <clears throat> we've had some great uh, uh, records. We've had some great players in the band. We've had some really great times and some, you know, really inspiring moments. And, and you know, when you're in a situation like that, you're inside the bubble, you tend to believe that, that uh, you know, this is it. This is the chemistry. This is the band. So one of, when one of those elements departs, you know, whether it be Jimmy or Damon, um, you tend to feel like, wow, how is this going to change things? And, and, 
you know, uh, Chad coming in after Jimmy definitely changed the motor of the band. But it, it and Jimmy's an amazing. It's not to take away anything from Jimmy DeGrasso. Jimmy DeGrasso is an amazing musician. Uh, but Chad is such a better fit for the band in that he is a band guy. He's a personality. His playing style. It's a little bit different. It's just a little bit. And it took me again with Chad a little while to get used to his style. I mostly have played with rock drummers, although I played in a few pop gigs and country gigs in my time. Uh, Chad has a a width of music, and he plays. He comes from a different generation of players, and I think he's he's almost put our band in a different situation, uh, given it a different energy. And same with Christian. You know, Christian has a completely different energy and a different approach than Damon. Obviously, he's a different musician. But right. the five of us, when we got into pre-production, if I can tell you that from the second we started playing the first note of music, and mind you, we had never really met Christian, uh, although I had met him uh, with uh, through a friend of mine, Stefan Adika, when they were both playing with D. Ramon back in the 90s. Oh. Um, briefly, I never really knew him. And to get in a room with somebody you just kind of don't know almost like a session situation and 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 have that connection and that bond and that musical pre-production just flew by it 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 was amazing how quickly we all gelled how easy it was to 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 build the songs i'm not saying it was difficult before but it was difficult before um you know personalities and whatnot and you know priorities and stuff in any band situation always come into play and uh and you know inhibit or you know uh, you know obstruct some of the stuff that goes on in band i mean just comment just like being married or having a family it just shit goes down and and so same thing with with our situation is no different and but with this situation with christian Chad, Scott, Ricky, and I, I found it, we found it to be very easy, very natural. Like I said, when, you know, underneath the afterglow, Scott came in with the demoed version that he had done with his, his nephew, and man, we just worked that song up, and it was it was lightning in a bottle from the first time we played it. Everything seemed to really gel, and again, when we got, Jay comes in, you know, to pre-production, he sees the energy in the room, and this is, you know, uh, the signs of a great producer, rather than get in the middle of it and try to, you know, interject his uh, opinion. He had the wherewithal to sit back a little bit more and 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 capture it, uh, in, not only in pre-production but live on the record. You know, again, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but the truth is is that most of the tracks, bass and drums for sure, are live. Uh, oh, Chad and nice. I just playing. You know, all five of us playing, uh, tracking the, the instruments together, and you know, we kept the bass and drums and some of the guitars because it was so just connected you know uh, what will it take was one of those songs that we just captured the movements and chad and i playing off of each other and uh, you can hear it i can hear it uh, I, I hear it and it just feels great and uh, absolutely i love that uh, yeah i love the way jay recorded the band in that also that he recorded one song at a time meaning we literally said we're recording this song front to back today you know uh, right. dr- bass drums guitars vocals everything we're doing it all right. and um with the exception of maybe a you know a keyboard overdub or a background vocal thing we we, we nailed each song, you know, if not a day, a day and a half. And Jay just was really great at keeping us in, involved and inspired in the moment. And I think it really shows. Again, right. we were yeah, all definitely. just so excited. Yeah. You, when you get those first, we got those first, uh, you know, mixes back, we were like, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right on. This is cool. <laughs> so, so Robbie, on kind of that tip about, you know, personalities and vibe, the vibe in the room amongst you guys, when, when Christian first came to you guys, do you first, do you go out for lunch? Do you have a beer with them before you get in the room and start playing? Or do you just whip out the instruments and start playing with them? How did that first initial meeting go with Christian? Yeah, so um, so uh, again, I think, you know, just so we're clear, uh, Jay Rustin, our producer, had, had done Stone Sour, had recorded Stone Sour, so he had suggested suggested Christian to us, and um, we, had, we had had, I hate saying auditions, I think auditions are an odd word, uh, we had got together with a bunch of players that we knew, guitar players, and uh, and we just jammed with them, you know, just see, you know, just just have a jam and see how things go, you know, play a few Blackstar Writers, Lizzie songs. So we did it with about 12 or 13 musicians that we knew guitar players that we were like, you know, I'll check this guy out. And they were all completely capable and awesome. Great people, good, good players, really great guys. A lot of them, very good friends of ours. And, we were like, yeah, man, this is a great pool of musicians to pick from, man. We, we, we're in good shape. And then that next day, um, Christian was out. I believe he was out with, like, Stone Sour somewhere on the Aussie tour or something. He just sent a video in of him playing one, I think it was Soldier's Town. And, and we all just looked at the video, much like Chad Saliga, same exact thing. We looked at the video and said, that's the guy. 
Right, and right. it was just without if something made us connect. Same thing with Chad. Chad sent in a video after we had jammed with a bunch of drummers, and we saw Chad's video that night and said, "That's the guy." It, it was almost like the guy who sent the video is going to be in the band. Um, we we Ricky again. Ricky went up. We had all corresponded with Christian, you know, as much as we could. This was back in September. Uh, August, October, like of of, uh, of last year, eighteen, and uh, that we had decided that Christian would be the guy, and then we went to South America. We came back, and in that time that we had gotten back before the pre-production, Ricky had gone up to uh, Christian's house, and they uh, they demoed the songs. So Christian and Ricky got to meet and hang out, and Christian, you know, Ricky would send back you know reports. Oh, he's great. He's cool. Right. You're gonna love him. We're all gonna love him. And quite literally, the first day that we ever physically came into contact with Christian, we all walked into pre-production at Mates in North Hollywood, and Christian was standing there with his guitar on, playing you know his guitar through his amp as we were you know getting ready to set our gear up, and we all just shook hands and said hey, and no, no beer, no nothing. We just right. <laughs> had at it, and again, yeah. it, it was. Yeah, it was such a connection. We all share so much in common musically, uh, uh, just life experiences. We're all very much in the same position in our lives, and and uh, it just really fits. He fits the band in such an amazing way, and uh, you know we've yet to tour with him, so I don't know how he snores, and I don't know, right. you know, to what degree he's going to try to put his hands in my extremely clean bunk, or if he's right. going to stick his hands under my bunk for my my pillows for my power bars. But you know, <laughs> right on. You know, I, we have yet to see all those things. But I mean, he's he's a great guy, and we have a really good time together. And musically, we really connected. I mean, I thought making the record was so effortless. It just seemed like an old friend, you know. Yeah, that's, very cool. That's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, just like an old friend there in the band, and like, well, you know, it's been great. So yeah. Well, speaking cool. of touring, what's what's the plan for Black Star Writers? Yeah, so we uh, we have a lot, man, <laughs> which is great. You know, at this point in your career, after doing, you know, we've all been out doing stuff for the better part of 30 and Scott's, you know, Scott's position, 40 years. We, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it's nice to see your calendar for the next two years. So, um, you know, Al, uh, Adam, our, our, our manager, and, uh, and Keith, uh, our, ma- our agent, they do a great job of giving us a great snapshot of the future as to what we're looking at. So we're, we're into, in, all the way up into 20, almost 21 now. And, uh, you know, we start October, I think it's the 9th or 10th in, uh, in the UK, and we work our way into mainland Europe all the way in through November of this year. So we're going to go out for about eight weeks and uh, support the record all through the cool. UK and Europe. Yep. And then we come back from there. Uh, we have, we're, we're looking into some American stuff uh, in, the, in the spring, and then definitely back to the UK and Europe and do the festivals all summer. Um, there's talk of South America. We've talked about Japan. There's offers in. So we're just, we're just trying to field all that and put it into the best position for ourselves and you know we would always love to as we tend to be blessed with uh, get on a tour with a great band like we did priest last year we did leopard uh, you oh, yeah. and white snake and, you know we, we've we've done some really great tours and, and and it's been great that our some of our friends have reached out and helped us uh promote this band because we truly believe in what we do and it's a, it's a great thing and it's a, it's a great band man i'm really proud of what we've done and absolutely you know uh, yeah it's just it's, it's cool to see how much we care about it and how willing we are to work i mean again i'll reiterate we We've been doing this for so long, musically, individually, and collectively, that we all kind of get it now. It's it's you know it's just par for the course. You know you just got to keep working hard, and you know hard work pays off. And I think Blackstar Writers is a definite, definitely a, an example of that. You know. Yeah, I must say, as a fan, I guess the last two times I saw you, I saw you with Priest and in Newark, New Jersey, and I think I saw you in New York City with Europe before that. And oh, yeah, I, I would yeah, just. Yeah. Uh, I would love to get a, a headlining gig out of you guys. I don't know if that's something you foresee happening in the States at any time soon. Well, you know, we always, I see us headlining Madison Square Garden one day, but right, is right. that a reality? I, in my mind, it is, and hopefully that will come to fruition one day. But, uh, yeah, you know, we, we hope that happens. Uh, we actually just hope that we're able to, to, to tour the U.S. in some capacity. Uh, right. It doesn't have to be, you know, 40 dates, but it could be 10. And um, and we would just love to come and, and play. You know, Blackstar Writers, again, is such a, 
a wide. I had my trainer this morning listen to the record. He's like, I listened to your record. It's very Celtic. And I said, <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're like, did you just listen to you know the first two songs, or did you get beyond that? You know, most people don't get beyond the first two or three songs when they give your band a listen. Any band, and um, that they're unfamiliar with. And and there's so much more depth to our band, I believe, because yes, we do have that Celtic you know flavor. Ricky's from Ireland. Scott comes from a band that had that influence as well. Um, yes, we do sound a little bit like Thin Lizzy. We have Scott Gorm in the band who is a co-writer on, you know, Hollywood, uh, you know, uh, Bad Reputation, Boys Are Back in Town, Cowboy Song. Right. I mean, he, he was a co-writer on all those songs. It's just the way Scott plays. I don't think, I mean, I've been in the writing process. I've, you know, co-written some songs on these records. I've been a part of preparation. I've never heard anyone say, no, we got to sound a little more Lizzy. I've never heard anyone say that. Yeah. Um, I just think the band kind of chases the music that we feel. Ricky will have an, a lyrical idea. He's a, he's always writing lyrics and poems and always writing music, and he's just never stops, uh, whether we're on the road or home or, or whatever. And uh, whether it's for himself or for other artists, I mean, he co-wrote the new Power Station record with Andy, Andy Taylor. I mean, he's Ricky's constantly writing with other people and, you know, getting it out there. And he, he should be. He's a very talented writer and a very talented musician and a great guy. And so... You know, we just write for what we feel this band is and musically what we dig. Uh, if it sounds a little Lizzy or it sounds a little Celtic, so be it, you know, but it, it just will take it. I mean, you could be compared to worse bands, right? So right, absolutely. I just feel very, yeah. I, that's, a, that's a great thing to be compared to. But, hey, I wanted to mention, I saw you uh, doing some jamming back in May with, with Dave Grohl, which was a lot of fun to watch. Can you talk a little bit about what that was and how that all came about? Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of surreal for a moment there. What a great drummer! I played with some great drummers, but he's he's definitely up there with some of them. Um, he uh, so Ricky, okay, so Keith Nelson uh, from Buck Cherry and Ricky Warwick um, had gotten together uh, at some point. Uh, they met through Billy Duffy and a few other people, and I've known Keith. We've done some tours with Keith before in other bands, and um, they got together. And Ricky has his solo band. It's called the Ricky Warwick and the Fighting Hearts, which I played on the first record. And Ricky and Keith decided to work together on Ricky's second record. So, um, and they had me, they were kind enough to have me play bass on it. And Xavier uh, Murrell, who's the drummer from Buck Carey, uh, played drums on it. So the four of us got together and recorded Ricky Warwick's solo record, the second one, which is yet to be released. And it's killer, I may say. And uh, Keith produced it. And um, it's really cool. We were in the process of that. And Adam Parsons, our manager, who is on the board for the Dio Foundation, for the Cancer Foundation, the Cancer Fund and all that, um, they do the yearly uh, Dio ride. And the, this one, they just asked if Ricky and I would be interested in coming up and playing a few songs, and uh, which we've done in the past, and we both agreed absolutely. We, we wanted to have Keith, and actually initially it was going to be Xavier, and then Xavier didn't live in L.A., so he wasn't able to do it. So I asked Brian Tishy, and Brian Tishy was possibly going to do it, and we were hoping Brian was going to do it, and it turned out he was not going to be able to do it. So they they had they said they would have a drummer ready, no rehearsal, just a jam, and we got there and they had a drummer, and we were like, cool, we'll use that guy. It's fine. We're just gonna go up and jam two songs, and quite literally, um, our manager was at, right by the, the, it's an outdoor park there in Encino, and saw Dave Grohl walk up and say, hey man, what's what's going on here? <laughs> what what's what's the deal with all these this stage and stuff and. This, and, and he said, oh, it's the Deal Cancer Fund, and, you know, there's bands jamming, and, you know, we're looking for a drummer to play with, with you know, Ricky Warren and I came from Black Star Writers, and they're going to play, you know, a Motorhead song and a, and a Lizzie song. And he goes, I'm in. And my manager quite literally wow. texted Ricky and I and said, I found you a drummer. It's Dave Grohl. And we went, yeah, right. And he said, no, really. And we quite literally, he we got there, and he was there. And, and that's really how it happened. He just walked up to Ricky and Keith and I, there's a few photos, and Eddie Trunk was there, and was like, cool, man. You just cue me on this, cue me on that, and let's go. So we literally got up and just jammed. Like, you know, Dave Grohl is full throttle, and he was unbelievable. I mean, the guy is just a monster on the drums. He's a monster musician. He's a legend. And um, he's as advertised, man. I was, you know, it was just fun. It was just having a jam with a couple of dudes, you know, which is quite literally what it was. Yeah. And it was good good times, yeah. Yeah, what a trip, huh? And, And a lot of people are like, 
wow. And I'm, we, were, we were the same, yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Great stuff. And we were talking with Robbie Crane, the bassist of Black Star Riders. And again, the new album is out now, Another State of Grace. It's great. You guys have to go pick it up. We'll have links up in today's show notes. And and Robbie, obviously your, your history is just, I mean, it's really staggering. So much great stuff you've been involved with through the years. And I know we could probably spend hours just talking about the history, but I did want to just mention one album that I was such a big fan of, and I just was wondering if you could share any memories of, of this record, Infestation by by Rat, um, probably mm-hmm. almost about 10 years old at this point. Uh, yep. Good memories of making that record what, what or, or not? What do you remember about putting that record together? Yeah, a little, little of both. Um, great producer, Elvis Biscuit, what a great guy. Great sounding uh, record. record. I mean, it was... It was yeah, yeah really him and Jeff Mole, and uh, they, they did such a great job of capturing, again, uh, uh, creating that whole thing for the band. I would love to say that that was by our, our doing or our, our design, but it was not. Um, uh, I think the 99 rap record we did with Kolodner is more of a representation of the records that, that the band was capable of making on their own. Um, we just... We, I I just didn't see the creative juices of my famed rat that I loved uh, so dearly back in the day. And um, it was through no fault of the musicians. It was just, you know, there's just, they were missing some key elements to the band. Um, Robin and Juan in particular with regard to the writing quartet. And um, so in, in, in comes Carlos Cavazzo who brought so much to the table. Um, not only did he write most of the songs on the record, he wrote our singles. And uh, him and Steven had an amazing connection. Him and Warren had an amazing connection. I love Carlos. He's an amazing musician. And um, I think Elvis just kept pushing us, man. He, he, he was like, hey, guys, you guys have to have to write great riffs. This has to be a rap record. So he created like a writing competition, Best Riff Wins. So we'd all go home and demo our riffs and, you know, I got a song or two on there. Carlos got a bunch of songs, Stephen Warren, uh, even Bob got a song on there. And, you know, I think it was just a matter of a band that was about to implode because we quite literally were on our last leg. I mean, we were, we were, there's so much infighting and there was so much infighting in my tenure in that band. I was, I joined the band in 97, I believe it was March of 97 and, um, and left in, you know, officially left in, in 2012, but actually had not played with the band since 2010 because we were on this hiatus because we just couldn't stand each other anymore, you know, and it's unfortunate, uh, just how much, how dark it got and how, how deep it got. But Infestation was a great culmination of all of that angst and all of that uh, that drive toward the positive and definitely the, the deep dive into the negative. Um, a lot of the guys were in really... Yeah, a few of the guys were in really, really bad shape at that time wow. with their own personal demons, and um, and I think that record that record captures a lot of that. Yeah. Um, Elvis again should be. I, I I kept telling Roadrunner, Dave Rath, and everybody, Elvis should get a fucking Grammy just for getting that record out of us. Wow. He quite literally did an amazing job, and and again, that's a live record where Blotzer, and I think it's Cavazzo and I uh, recorded ninety percent of the of the tracks live uh, wow. in in the the the, the drum taken and Warren's would have been live too but I he was he was and it wasn't through no fault of his own we were trying to document the uh the recording and so he 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 was responsible for the GoPro and so he would stop playing sometimes wow. readjust the GoPro and I'm like don't stop playing dude you're killing it you know what I mean and so you know it, it was that uh, we recorded in Virginia Beach at Elvis Biscuit studio on the water right there on the Chesapeake and um it was beautiful I mean quite literally the studio overlooked it the glass windows out looking over the water and uh just an amazing experience we lived together at this home and we all in the way elvis has the home set up it's almost like a hotel uh with a huge you know it's all music there's guitars everywhere so you live together you cook together you you know and for rat that was a tall order i mean it was tough it was tough because you know again uh, personalities don't necessarily uh, care for each other on a personal level and and it's not because of anything other than i mean those guys have a lot of old wounds that just never right, were, were right. healed and never really properly properly addressed and um and so, yeah, man, making that record was really fun and really cool. Um, it was it was bittersweet because, again, it was a culmination of all of that angst. And um, we cut the tour short. We went out with the Scorpions that year. Um, we had a bunch of other stuff planned, but we just we we wouldn't have survived. Right. Uh, 
Right yeah, so we, we we decided to put it put it put it on the shelf at that point, and which was the end of my tenure in the band. And uh, and again, I'll reiterate, I I was kind of ready to go. I mean, I think in 2008 I was ready to leave. Um, it just had run its course for me, and and it was it would become a little much for me, and and uh, and my family had started to kind of weigh on my family, and and I just had to make a decision. So I was lucky enough at that point when we did take the hiatus to go out and kind of invest my musical uh, uh, juices into that Lynch band and I did a couple of records with them in 18 months and that kind of helped serve as a bridge away from rat and and it was it just kind of led me away from that whole situation which is I'm thankful for you know so, right on yeah right I, on. I love the rat guys I wish them all well but it's you know I think that record was I'm so thankful that we made that record and captured the energy and what we were able able to do in my tenure in the band because the records I did prior to that I thought collage was kind of fun and interesting right. yep. I just I and through no fault again of Richie Zito or anybody uh, with regard to the 99 record I just thought we demoed we, we did like three versions of that four versions of that record the three demos complete demos and a record the demos killed the record Richie really? produced the demos in Steven's home studio and we they sound amazing I still listen to them once in a while and go god they sound so great the energy is so great but you know you have to go in and that's that old school mentality of recording you gotta go in and do it in the big studio otherwise it's not a record and it's uh, it kind of killed the spirit of the record so yeah. I hear you cool hey last question then I'll let you go Steve Steve Sure. Do you hear from Steve much? No, you know, I've not spoken to Steve in years. Uh, oh. The reality of my relationship with Steve Stevens was, you know, I had joined Vince's band in March of 92, and uh, Vic Fox and Phil and I were, uh, I joined as a guitar player, I don't know if anyone knows that, but I was a bass player my entire life and career, but I just joined the band as a guitar player because Vince needed really? a guitar wow. player, and I was happy as hell just to play with anybody uh, of, of that prestige so I, I could play guitar so I just started playing rhythm guitar so we did the first You're Invited video with me on rhythm guitar and another guy on lead guitar so Steve Stevens had come in for the MTV Movie Awards in 92 and I met Steve kind of through the band so it, I don't think we were really friends outside of the band um, we were cool with each other inside of the band and we hung and we had some good times um, and when he left he left the band because of a I don't know it was a publishing dispute or something with Vince Something happened, and um, he called me and just said, yeah, man, I'm going to move on. And we, we always got on cool over the years. Um, we'd see each other, and everything was cool. But over the past, you know, a couple of years, man, I've just, you know, I've not seen him, and, you know, I've not really had any sort of relationship with him. But, you know, it's not for any other reason other than we just never were really friends before. We just played together, you know, and it was cool. I mean, I think he's an amazing musician. Oh, yeah. And he taught he's me. still got it, man. He's still got it. Oh, yeah. the dude's amazing. I mean. I never forget being a 22-year-old kid in rehearsal the first time and hearing him play out my mouth was on the ground. I was like, holy shit! <laughs> and, and I was playing guitar, too, and I was like, how am I going to keep up with this guy? Uh, but he was he's, he still is a flamenco. I mean, the things he taught me as a musician, uh, I learned. Uh, I, it's, 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 it's insurmountable. I can't even tell you how many things daily I still use that I use, learn from Steve, whether it be about technique or recording styles or playing or approach to the bass. And, and um, you know, that first Finch Neal record, he he played the bass on that. Mind you, Phil Susan was our bass player. And, uh, I was the guitar player, second guitar player. So we recorded the record with Phil on bass, and uh, Steve went back and re-recorded the bass as we looked for a bass player. And then I ended up on two tracks at the end when I became the bass player. So ah, Steve's okay. predominantly on the record, although I am on two tracks. Right. Uh, uh, but th it wasn't for any other reason other than we just didn't have a bass player at the time. And uh, and so eventually, like I said, Steve discovered that I was a bass player. And he was like, wait a minute, <laughs> are you a guitar player or a bass player? I'm like, I'm a bass player. He's like, you're going to play bass. So by the Van Halen tour, which is our first tour for the uh, Exposed record, I ended up back on bass, which, you know, was, was my natural instrument. So right. I was happy as hell. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. so no, uh, Steve, yeah, Vin, yeah, Vince I see once in a while. He's cool. Dave Marshall and I talk. Uh, I don't think anyone talks to Vic. And, yeah, I, that's about the oh, oh, that's yeah. cool to hear. So, I mean, because there's those stories out there that you and Vince kind of didn't end well. Uh, but you guys are cool well, I don't now? think it, I, well, I don't think anyone ended well with Vince, but uh, right. oh man, I have I have I have nothing but love and respect for Vince. Um, uh, we we did some shows together in when I was in Rat in the 2007 and 8 era. I did a Motley Cruise, and we he fully came up, and we we were totally cool. I did this golf tournament, but you know, uh, with Vince, um, you never know what you're going to get. So sometimes it's hot and sometimes it's cold. I just keep it at we're cool with each other because we've always we we've seen each other about ten times in the past ten years, and he's always been cool, dude. Vince, I. I was 22 years old 
broke as a joke living on my floor of my sister's office with my two cats. Right. And Vince quite literally gave me my financial. I live in the home today. I bought the home I live in today because of Vince Neal. Wow. I have nothing but appreciation and love for him. He he was wonderful to me, treated me as an equal and as a great person, and he treated me amazing. Were alcohol and drugs involved in our dispute? Totally. Was I a total 25-year-old idiot? Completely. Were we both drunk idiots? Of course. Uh, at the end of the day, do I have love and aspiration, I mean, and admiration for him? Of course. I love Vince, dude. Vince is a great cat. He's done nothing but positive for me. I know he has a lot of whatever in the press. I don't know that Vince. I only know the Vince that treated me amazing. So I wish that dude well, and I always will have nothing but respect and good things to say about him. You know what I mean? Absolutely, so, man. Robbie, it's yeah. been a pleasure. I love hearing you talk and tell the stories. I love hearing you. Thank you. The new music you're putting out with Black Star Riders, Another State of Grace, is a great album, guys. Definitely pick it up. We're going to check some music out today on Talking Metal from that album. And, uh, yeah, Robbie, please stay in touch. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Thank you, everybody. All right. Take care, man. What will it take for me to make you smile? What will it take for me to make you mad? What will it take? Can we negotiate? What will it take? What will it take? What does it take? Does it take more than a lot? What does it take? Does it take more than we got? What does it take? Can we communicate? What does it take? What does it take? Take by Black Star Riders featuring Pearl a Day, who uh, is friendly with the band and sounds great on that. Uh, a lot of connections with her. I mean, she's married to Scott Ian from Anthrax, and of course, Jay Rustin produced Anthrax and also produced the new album by Black Star Riders, which is another state of grace. I don't know where the connection comes. I think she was, was she on the last record. I think she sang on the last record too. Actually, I need to double check that, but. Yeah, anyways, great stuff from Black Star Riders. Really, really digging everything these guys release. And everyone knows I'm a big, you know, Damon Johnson's fan. So 
Um, you know, but I, I must say that they are continuing on and sound really, really strong without Damon, you know? I mean, so, so it's all good because Damon is rocking on his own too. So right on. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's uh, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's keep the music going. Big thanks to Robert Crane for joining us. Let's uh, let's go back, man. How about some Rat? This is again an album I loved, Infestation. Station record about 10 years ago already for that, right? I think, well, not quite 10 years. Released April 20, uh, 2010. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be uh, 10 years soon. So, good stuff, man. And Robbie Crane, we love talking with Robbie Crane. You know, it's weird because I've been doing so many of these episodes, 830-something episodes, and I'm still talking to people I've never spoken with, like Robert, Robbie Crane, Robert Crane. Uh, and that is what gets me off. That's why I want to keep doing this and want to hear from you patrons on Patreon. Who should I interview next? Let me know. I want to talk to people I've never spoken with. So 
Give me your suggestions there. I know somebody said Brian from Diamond Head, and we will work on that for you, Patrick. I promise. All right. So without further ado, let's do another tune here. the go-goat by ghost here on talking metal digging that track always fun stuff from ghost anyways we're gonna wrap it now guys and just wanted to thank everyone for joining us i did also want to mention yeah there were some leaked guns and roses tracks and i have been checking those out somebody sent them to me and you know people are like why aren't you talking about these tracks more well, I, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I'm friends with one of the guys in the band, Frank, and I don't know how much I want to talk about them, really, because they it's, it's stuff that wasn't meant to be heard, you know? So if you want to go... Here, I'm talking about them, all right? But it's more... I, it's at the end of a podcast. <laughs> I'm not doing it on YouTube. I'm kind of... I'm not going to write this in the show notes, but if you want to, if you want to seek them out, they are out there. Don't ask me to send them to you. Somebody sent them to me, but they're good. There's good stuff in there. Like you get like Josh Free's version of Chinese democracy. He of course wrote that song with Axel, different mixes of stuff. Uh, there's one song I really like a lot, which I've never heard. I mean, it sounds like it, it was probably finished for Chinese democracy and just not used Jackie Chan, it's called, and that is a great tune. A lot of good stuff uh, leaking from Guns N' Roses, but uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if we should be listening to it or not. I mean, it, it wasn't meant to be out there, uh, but <laughs> somebody sent them to me, and I, I did listen to them, I have to admit, and again, a couple of them, very, very good. So why, people are like, why doesn't he just release them? Well, he's an artist, man, and, and they belong to him, so we have to respect that. So I feel a little dirty having listened to them, but I've had numerous people say, why aren't you talking about them? So there you go. I just spoke about the fact that Guns N' Roses had recent music leaked. Um, And this is music that predates Slash and Duff coming into the band, sometimes by like a decade. It's a bunch of different stuff. So anyway, maybe even more than a decade. Some of this stuff, I think, goes back to the the, like late 90s. So we're, we're talking like two decades. But... 
Cool. All right, there you go. Am I going to play unreleased Guns N' Roses on the podcast and risk getting this podcast shut down permanently? No, we're not doing that. So what should we play? Let me, I'm just, I don't even have anything picked out. Let me flip through. I'm just flipping through some music. Blue Murder? Eh, no. Uh, Marty Friedman? Eh, it could be interesting. No, but let's keep going. Yeah. Black Sabbath. There we go. Uh, an album that I think is one of Sabbath's most underrated records. Uh, I would put Never Say Die up there, but also Born Again. The record that, fin- that featured Bill Ward, he left once it, the record was released, but it, he's on the record. So it's essentially that original classical lineup minus Ozzy. The same lineup that played on Heaven and Hell. A lot of people think Vinny played on that Vinny Apathy, but he did not. That was Bill Ward on that record too. Uh, but yeah, so then, well, anyways, I'm not going to go through the whole lineup changes and stuff. But this is Geezer, Iomi, Ward, and Gillen on what I consider to be Black Sabbath's most underrated record. Some people consider it to be their last great record, and I might be one of those people. Although I did like 13, I did like 13. Uh, when Ozzy came back, but let's uh, let's ch- check this out. This is Zero the Hero, and speaking of Guns N' Roses, Iomi seems convinced that they borrowed this riff for Paradise City, right? So let's let's check it out, and you let me know what you think. Did 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 the Guns N' Roses guys maybe consciously or subconsciously borrow this riff? for one of their songs. Let me know what you think. This is Zero the Hero off the great album Born Again by Black Sabbath. And that'll take us out for today, guys. Love you, dudes. Talk to you next time.